Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. Welcome to another episode of Women in Safety. If you're returning, it's great to have you back. And if it's your first time, we're really glad that you decided to take a chance and listen in. I've got a really great conversation in store for us today. I have Trisha Craigera. She's the Executive Vice President, Risk Management at Jordan Foster Construction. And she's also the author of the book, The B Word. So check that out because it's a really a good read. Joining her today is Grace Herrera from BPR Construction. She's the Safety System Manager and Michelle Gray, who is the Safety Director there. Let's dive into our conversation. People's view of what was a disposable position before COVID is now turned around to seeing that they are actually essential workers. And somebody from retail, I find that very humbling because a lot of people would be hard pressed if the grocery stores were not open in the city. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, And in fact, um, I think, uh, Trisha, Trisha, you gave me some facts that make up uh, 39% of the global employment is women. And yet, 54% of overall job loss due to COVID is actually women losing their jobs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Women have exit, whether it be um, that they've been um, downsized or whatever, or impacted because of COVID, um, whether it be a layoff or whether it be an intentional decision on their part because of um, the reality of having to take care of kids and um, all of the reasons that they've, there's been a mass exodus of women in the workplace since COVID began. It's impacted right. far greater than men. Right. And, and just to speak a little bit to that, uh, Tamara, usually when we have opportunities to talk about women, you know, going into non-traditional roles, we find that women really uh, want to look for that work-life balance. And that's really mm-hmm. the determining factor in choosing careers. You know, how, is, how is, do I as a woman... Uh, as a partner in a relationship, contribute financially to the household, but also be able to support, have be the support system in that household for rearing the children, you know, taking maintaining the household itself. Um, and so we find that women historically have chosen these caregiver roles as mm-hmm. teachers, you know, uh, hospitality, some in the service uh, space. And unfortunately, with COVID, you know, we we. Our, our main topic is usually how do we get uh, women to take that risk, right, to, to, to reach for uh, non-traditional roles like the STEM, right, the engineering, mm-hmm. and go out there and reach for that C-suite uh, opportunity. But we're finding with COVID, unfortunately, even in those traditional roles, that stability is no longer there. Uh, We find the service industry because of shutdowns, you know, there's not as much need for those for as many staff and people are being Mm -hmm. furloughed healthcare if you're a a lot of doctors offices aren't opening they're doing virtual uh, visits as well so they don't need that staff anymore so unfortunately as Trisha said 
they're involuntarily having to leave the workforce. And, and then we have the voluntary where we have households having to make decisions because yeah. now not only did we have to learn and you're saying it, we should have, we're in the 21st century, we should know this, but a lot of us are having to learn how do we, how can we be just as productive virtually uh, while homeschooling children, I can tell you, uh, and Michelle could speak to this as well. We have a lot of coworkers that I hats off to them. They have elementary school level children. Mm-hmm. So they're having to be just as productive as before in their workplace and homeschool at the same time. Uh, it's, it's not easy. And so COVID's really just thrown this monkey wrench for women. And, and I, we're really interested to see what organizations can do to help the situation. Well, and I'm going to push back a little bit here. Uh, one thing that you, you, you said was the traditional, right, that they've chosen. And I'm going to challenge that because I, I don't think that um, we have chosen. I think we've been more guided and influenced that certain roles are easier for us as women to have because we should be the caregivers of the children unit. And in today's society, that is changing. It's no longer an excuse because men are also stepping up. And there's a lot of men out there who are doing great jobs as dads, right? So for me, that's not really a a valid excuse society-wise. I think we have to be nurturing women and young women to know you can be whatever you want to be. And tear apart that stigma, whatever it is that's guiding into what you're saying is the traditional roles, right? That's right. That's right. So I would say uh, you're correct in the choosing part, right? So that's where our second point, I think Michelle could speak more to this, is we have these interminal limiting beliefs, right? We're going to make choices that we think, uh, you know, this is what is expected of me by society. Uh, this is what we're supported. You know, we get the pats on the back. We get that have that lift up. So you, Grace, you brought up a lot of great points and thank you for that. And I want to kind of stay with the idea of work-life balance. Okay. And And for a moment, I really want us to consider, like, is this an obtainable thing? Doesn't matter if you're female or male. I think men have their own stresses that are different than what women come into the workplace, right? And and I think we have to honor both of those in different ways. Our conversation today will be, we are women, so we're going to be looking at what our experience was as women, because that's what we have. Um, and so one of the things that was coming up in, into my mind is, is this work-life balance really obtainable or is this like a flawed conception in our, our Western society? So Michelle, you're shaking your head. What are you thinking there? Well, it's, I, I love that question because I think we do, ha- we, we, put this preconceived notion that we're supposed to have this work-life balance, right? And, and I think that just that puts extra stress on us because what does that mean? Well, that's gonna be different for me than it is for Grace. Grace's kids are older. I've had to tell my kids to be quiet when they came home from school today because I was gonna be on this podcast, right? So what is that work-life balance? And I truly think we need to give ourselves some grace, no pun intended on your name, Grace, <laughs> to, to say that, it, you're, oh, it, it's this fluctuation, it's this pendulum that's gonna move back and forth as we 
um, change in our careers as our kids get older or younger, as we, you know, take on new roles. I think COVID has kind of pushed this to, to the limit because of the things uh, that we talked about. The, if it, you know, kids are no longer in school, we're trying to work from home, we're trying to multitask. It is extremely nice to be able to do a load of laundry in between Zoom calls. But then when you have to jump off to deal with your kids or, or get dinner started or whatever, those are extra stresses. Um, and I think that the sad thing is with COVID is it has disproportionately fallen on the shoulders of women. Uh, the Time Magazine that came out, uh, article that came out recently said, um, I don't remember the exact number, but almost a million uh, women have stepped out of the labor workforce for multiple reasons. And it was under 300,000 for men. So such a huge disproportion. And it's because of these stereotypes about work-life balance, whose job is more important. Um, and, and I think we still struggle with this uh, as much as there's some, some men who are doing a fantastic job stepping up, taking the leadership. There's men who stay home to raise the kids, which is fantastic. But we still have this stereotype that when push comes to shove, a man's job is more important than a woman's. Yeah. She's going to be the one that goes home to takes care of the kids. And we need to continually battle that stereotype. And I mm -hmm. think COVID has probably stepped us back several years in this progress that we've made. We need to be disciplined about what we do to counteract it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, from my own experience, and it's disgusting that this happened. Um, when I started in health and safety, and I had Kalen, um, he was younger. My male manager, health and safety corporate manager said to me that I could be a support role, but until my son was old enough and didn't really need me in the house anymore, that that corporate management position would be off limits. Mm -hmm. And I felt so angry that I would be talked to that way because the last time I was talked to that way was when I was 17 years old and I wanted to be a police officer. And I was told by my, my guidance counselor at high school, all the reasons why as a woman, I couldn't be a police officer. So, you know, that's been a long time in between several decades. And so I'm frustrated and I'm mad that the stigma is still alive. And I, I'm, I want to know, without screaming about it, how do we go about as strong women breaking this? Because it's still there. Oh, it's still there. Um, in fact, so the, the whole idea of balance too, is your, um, the, even if you look it up in the dictionary, there's no such thing. It's, it says as if, the definition says as if. So we, it's not something that should be achieved and stay. It's, it can't stay. And I think that's where the whole myth that women have drank that Kool-Aid is, is it's related to trying to achieve this mythical state that doesn't exist. It's supposed to ebb and flow, just like your career, just as like your kids get older. And, you know, I've, I, I've had situations where people have been, a, a woman has made a conscious decision to stay in a role in, let's say, a administrative or support role while their children were younger mm -hmm. and then when they got to a certain age, but the organization assumes that because that person made that decision at that, at that age, that then that decision is there, there forever. And it's just not the case. We all grow, we all change, we all move on and we make decisions to accommodate 
what the, what we have to do to to get by in in our careers and in our lives to try to create that balance but i see the the whole idea of balance is is just a problem i i cuz it's it's not supposed to be something that continues forever it's supposed to ebb and flow and um and then i i think that one way that we as leaders as female leaders who have gotten to a we figured out pieces and parts of this is to put ourselves out there and to create role models for other younger women that are looking and entering the workplace. Right. One of the, the biggest challenges too, is that um, in spite of the fact that women now have more education than ever before, and actually have more degrees than, than, some, than males, um, we continue to gravitate towards teaching, nursing, and administrative roles, all which are extremely necessary and add value and are, I mean, look at what, where would we be without our healthcare workers with, with the situation that we're in today? Yet yeah. sometimes the reality is they pay less and they don't have the growth potential that other roles might have like in STEM. The only way to do that is for kids to see that there are other women in those roles so that they can that and being encouraged at a young age to pursue them. And it's a societal issue, it's a culture. It's a culture to keep. Yeah, and, and I'll share my personal story. So I can honestly say I wouldn't be where I am today in my career had it not been for a woman leader who saw the potential and pushed me to work towards my potential and say, you can do this. Uh, you know, as women, we have limited, limiting beliefs. Uh, I heard one of your podcasts that said, you know, we have to have all the check marks, right? We don't want to speak up about that promotion or that next level because we don't think we're, we have the capacity to do so, or maybe we're not, well, and enough, enough uh, background to, to get that position. And we do that to ourselves internally, right? We even are just our own limiting beliefs, but the women in my life have been instrumental in saying, you know, you can do this. Grace, I see your talent. Uh, to the two women in this podcast today, Trisha and Michelle, are both examples of women in my personal career who have recognized my talents and allowed me to shine uh, in, in these roles. And, and I can't thank them enough. And I think that as women, we need to do more of that. We need to recognize those talents and find ways to lift women up and give those opportunities to those that might not speak up for themselves. And, you know, what's going through my mind right now is, as we we're I'm hearing the language, like, well, uh, that we're choosing, you know, we're, we're making a choice. And I, I, I struggle at that because I don't, I don't believe that we all feel that we have a choice. I feel that there's um, various stigmas that have been reinforcing our decision-making in, in normalizing us on what to think is appropriate. And if it, like, I remember when I first saw a CEO that was female um, I was floored. I didn't even realize that shattered me. I didn't even realize that that would be obtainable because I always saw white men to be older white men to be particular with you consistently in those positions. And I was reinforced that it, you know what, that's not a career choice that you should propel to. You should try to be a teacher or something like that's a reasonable choice. So 
how much do we actually cognitively think about the process in in the way we're flowing? What are your thoughts about that? I'm going to guess we're all somewhat in the same age generation. And I just felt so sad when you told the story about wanting to be a police officer at 17, right? Um, I remember when I was younger than 17, wanting to be a professional soccer player. Well, and at the time there wasn't women's professional soccer. So that wasn't an option. And, and I think so many of our dreams as women get crushed through these uh, unconscious bias, through these stereotypes that just still exist today. And I think what you're talking about is how do we, how do we break those barriers down? How do we intentionally create space for the next generations to come through? Um, and I, I think there's a lot of things that we can do on an individual basis. You know, uh, if we have our own children, our own um, male or female children is, is, you know, in our house, we have two moms. Um, and so it is this constant coaching both kids that there is equality in what we're capable of doing and that each person sets their own boundaries and helping to break down those own boundaries we set up that are barriers to ourselves. And so we have to be really intentional about that on an individual basis. And I think, you know, Grace talked about the things that we can do of providing these opportunities, role modeling. Um, we, Grace and I get to work for this awesome company, DPR Construction. And, you know, we have um, our management committee member has two females on it, which is just awesome. Women in construction, it, you know, it, it's awesome to see. And like you said, it, by role modeling it, by intentionally setting it out, DPR um, is intentionally developing a diversity inclusion uh, and equity program that really is focusing on breaking down these barriers across construction, everything from the field and in the craft folks so that we see more women actually building uh, as well as those getting up into the C-suite um, positions. But it takes time breaking these barriers down. We have a, a unconscious bias training program that is, that is pretty cool to, to go through, but it, it is interesting to see the light bulbs turn on on some of the individuals in the class because they do have these unconscious bias they aren't even aware of. Um, and it's everything from being male to being, uh, you know, uh, different races, uh, different ages even, you know, and, and how do we break down all of these stereotypes and unconscious bias that we bring into it and provide people these opportunities to grow and learn without putting limitations on them. And I think the biggest thing is acknowledging that we do it to ourselves. <laughs> you know, uh, the check the box, uh, you know, I, I have two, two undergraduate degrees and one master's degree. And it's like, I had to get all of those before I could go for this thing. And, and men don't think the same way. They're like, I'll just go get it. Right. Right. Um, and so how do we break those down and make it easier for others to do it? Yeah. I suffer from that too. The, the whole, um, every credential, I have lots of credentials and part of it was in self like driven because I'm just kind of a lifelong learner and I just love, I love learning. And if I'm interested in something, I want to know everything I possibly can about it. But the reality is too, I do believe that sometimes it, it I had to have the names or the designation or the initials after my name so that I could even get in the door of the room, you know, whether I would like to think that, that I would have gotten there anyway, but I also do think that um, in my case, having the credentials is what 
got me there in the first place and being able to, oh, she's smart. Oh, she's got that designation. Yeah, she really does know. Um, especially, uh, I call it the babe to bitch phenomena. I think Grace and I have talked about that a little bit before where, you know, you're young and you're starting out and you're quote unquote, the babe where people are like, oh yeah, I'll help you along or whatever. But then when you start getting really good at what you're doing and you have, it becomes your profession or it becomes something that you're, 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 you're becoming an expert suddenly, man, what happened to her? She's a bitch because, because you're, you stand in your truth and you, you're, you're more of an expert on things. And, um, you know, that, that's a challenge, if, especially if you're someone who the reality is like me, I, I wanted, I, you know, I was raised to be nice and I want to be liked. And suddenly I was, I was being called a bitch and what do I do about that? And so finally I had to realize that if, well, if that's the title that comes with it, well, then that's, you know, but, but I've, I've earned the right to be in the room and I'm, I, I expect to stay. And that's kind of the approach that I've, I've taken, I guess it's the, the redheaded stubborn <laughs> generation that, that I came from. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, Anyway. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll just share a personal story. Um, you know, being called a bitch, it's, it's really interesting having a lot of male, uh, uh, management over, you know, over me and kind of looking at their styles of management and, and me as a woman going into management, trying to emulate some of those styles and then immediately be being the bitch in the room. And it's like, you know, I'm just emulating what every other man in this organization is doing, trying to take, you know, uh, being a decision maker, you know, drawing a line in the sand, trying to trying to drive change, which is what really takes organizations from being good to great. Uh, but yet as a woman, unfortunately, there's that stigma with, uh, you know, well, she's, she's hard, she's hard to work with, she's difficult, or even taking it to the string of being called a bitch. So it, it's been an interesting dynamic as I've climbed the ladder. Grace, tell them about your, what is it they, one person told you to, they'd catch more uh, when- Oh, I was told I would catch more flies than money. Yeah. You know, when you're asserting yourself in a position that, oh, you know, you need to tone it down. You, need, you catch more flies with honey. It's like, come on, you're going to say that, you know, it's not going to happen if, if someone, oh man, he's strong and he's really determined and, you know, it, it's perceived in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. How to navigate that, you know, without losing your credibility and, and being able to, to rise above it. it it's tough. It's tough. And see, I'm, I'm hearing two themes coming out here. Um, I don't know which one I want to go after first. Um, Michelle, in, when you were talking, you, you brought to my attention some generation stigmas. The, the struggle of our generation, I'm Generation X, finding individuals to, to model so that we knew if you wanted to be a female soccer player, go to it. You know, whatever that dream was, it, it didn't matter on gender that you can go go for it. And then the other theme that I'm hearing coming is um, with both Grace and Trisha is the discussion about, you know, here we are, we don't have other women to model. Um, we were, we're coming up. Yeah, they're there now. That's great for the next generation. But I'm talking about our generation. Come on. It, they, there, it was far and few between the women that were in those executive leadership roles. I remember um, one woman, Shelly Schaefer, 
who was at that senior, senior level in the executive at Astro Bellevue Pathé, you know, and she was hardcore. She, she, she made herself almost like a man. That was the mentor I saw. So, so, you know, when you're saying we'd catch more flies with honey, I would never hear the guy say that to another guy. And so it angers me when I'm hearing those little catchphrases. So out of these two, what would you guys like to break open? I know I threw two things at you, but you can handle it. You guys pick. Oh, man. Um, Well, I really like the the bitch journey because I think that a lot of when women in leadership make our decision making decisions that just tends to be the bucket they're thrown in because Mm -hmm. you can't please the masses especially with large organizations so you're going to have to make the decision that makes the most sense for the future of the organization that may not sit well with everybody and unfortunately that's going to be the bucket you're going to be thrown in because people don't agree with the point of view, not understanding that, hey, we have to make decisions, not just about today, but future. And and there's a lot of factors that went into it. And sometimes in decision-making, there is some concessions. Uh, But when men make the same type of decision-making, same structure, uh, it's always praise, uh, great leader, visionary, you know, we don't see it, but he does. Uh, and so I just think that that I've not met a woman in, in, a, in a management position that hasn't complained about worrying about being the bad guy. Yeah. You know, the one I love is that you'll, you'll bring up an idea in a meeting and it'll get dismissed. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're all laughing. You know, finish the sentence. <laughs> and then, and then so- a man brings it up and it's the next what initiative. A great idea. Yeah. <laughs> great idea. Right. Yeah. So four women here and we all have the same experience. That's not a coincidence. Like, you know, I think it's time to call a spade a spade. We're intelligent women. We're at the table because as you said, Trisha, we earned our place. Um, and, and so now, you know, that makes me think about the generational stigmas. Do you think that our generation, we grew up with these stigmas that we're trying to break? How are we unfolding for the next generation coming out? of female workers? What are you thinking? What are you seeing? Well, I think just the fact that we have more women in safety, more women in construction, more women in almost every industry across the board is, is a huge improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still battling it, right? We're still talking about these stories. Um, they probably happened last week. They're probably going to happen next week. But, um, you know, Brene Brown talks about being off your authentic self, right? And I think I think that's what we need to do versus trying to be this, this replicate a man's image or try and do something that's not truly who we are. We need to, we need to bring ourselves to the table. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to be more comfortable. We're going to be more, more authentic. People are going to accept us more. And if we're trying to be something we're not, it's going to come across that way. Um, I think we need to find our, our support mechanisms, our support systems. Uh, each of us probably have a, a male counterpart or somebody who has really helped lead and support us in our journey that is male. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we owe to some of our other male counterparts who maybe fall into these stereotypes and 
make some small errors or issues, but they know you know their heart's in the right spot, point it out so that they can grow from it. I think if we just pass by it, it's like a safety issue. If you walk by a safety concern, we've just said it's okay to you know stand on the top two rungs of a ladder. And the same thing is if we're seeing these stereotypes or uh, unfair <laughs> expectations because you're female or male, that we need to start calling it out more in the appropriate manner, not, mm-hmm. not having a bitch session in front of everybody, but you know, giving them that opportunity to learn and, and grow from it. Yeah, I think you bring up a valid point, Michelle, in that, you know, recognizing the men that are really working hard and, and support the journey that women are on towards, mm-hmm. towards the top, um, you know, getting them to talk more about how they are leading these inclusive, you know, discussions and, and supporting women. I think that more men need to hear that. It's not necessarily, it could be that they just don't know how, right? We're, we're doing what we know. We're doing what we're conditioned. We're doing with what we, maybe we saw generations before us did. And I, I, I think it, it's something, a discussion that needs to be shared, like you said, storytelling, how it impacts the workplace, um, you know, somebody that used to work for DPR said DPR is one of the greatest companies because they do have so many women involved in the decision making. And so wouldn't it be amazing to hear that? Uh, he also made a comment about, you know, women aren't the only ones who want to go to the kids uh, baseball games. Men want to be there too. We're dads, we're uncles, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're support teams there too. We want to be there, but everyone assumes that we want to stay at work. And he goes, that's not always the case. So there's, there's there's assumptions on both sides. And I just think we need to share those stories so people can say, Hey, you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really think there's something about, I call it building bridges and enlisting the good guys that know that, you know, that get it and show them just like we're talking about showing like part of our journey is to, we are in a position, we are in leadership position. So putting us out there as women leaders so that people have a role model, they can see somebody that looks like them achieving what they wish they can achieve for the future. Um, and then, but also that's the same thing for men. Um, they, if they're looking for um, opportunities to advance and to um, pr- support and not only support, but really sponsor women as well. And, but sometimes there's really no playbook and it's like, so what can we do to help that? Because the other reality is if we're not enlisting men in the conversation, that's 50% of the population and it's not gonna work. There has to be collaboration of everyone together working and identifying this issue and saying, this is something that we want to change. The dynamic must change because the reality is our world is changing. And one of, you know, so one of the things that's probably a great argument is the executive leadership team, right? So they want to make money if companies want to make money, but they discount 50% of the population and they only people in the room making decisions, look and act and have the exact same background that they do. They're missing potentially their customer base. They're not able to understand what their customers look like and what their customers need because the world is changing. And, and so those days at some point, they're no longer going to be successful. And so, and that zero sum game where it's, um, there's not enough for everyone. I don't believe in that. I believe in abundance. And I think it's just educating people to that just because we allow 
a woman or a minority or someone, a seat at the table that doesn't look like us, doesn't mean that that's, we're losing our power. It's going to, the world is shifting and changing. And so we all, we all need to be working together to, to create that change. And I would even build on that. It's not enough that they have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. It's also voice. You're absolutely A lot of time I have seen there, you know, the inclusion of somebody of diversity at the table, but they don't get a voice. So. Yep. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say, going to Michelle's point is we all have something to contribute and that's where you're, you know, we all have a talent. We all have something and it, and if we are true, our true authentic selves, uh, something got us there. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that would, if, if, if everyone would acknowledge that, that everyone has something to contribute, then it would allow for everyone to have a voice because perspectives matter, uh, you know, it, it, no matter what business you're in, because your customers are diversified as well. And so I think if we just accepted the fact that everyone has something to contribute, it would really help. And, and that sounds great in an ideal world, but, you know, I... I want to be my authentic self all the time. Um, but to be transparent with you and direct, it's only lately that I finally work at a company where being who I am in a professional sense, my authentic self has been accepted. For a lot of other companies, when you start acting your authentic self and speaking up and having thoughts, that's when um, you start getting ostracized you start get being isolated and, and there's like, I've seen it. I, I've seen it happen to myself. I've seen it happen to other people. It's not in my head where, you know, slowly they'll, they'll take projects away from somebody um, because they didn't behave in the way. And so it almost creates this forced imposter syndrome where you feel you have to behave a certain way. Well, part, part of that is going back to the culture of, um, like you all were talking about DPR being very intentional about um, diversity and inclusion and equity. And the challenge is the diversity will fall apart if the culture is not set up for inclusion. There has to be that we, not only are we gonna sponsor and um, educate on um, diversity and, initiatives to empower women, but the culture has got to catch up to it too, or it's going to fail. And, um, and I've seen, like you said, I've seen many experiences where they've, they've failed, um, where it's with the best of intentions, but it, the company just wasn't ready for it. And then it fails. And, um, you know, then all of a sudden the person that was supposed to be the change maker becomes the thorn in everyone's side. Yeah. That's, that's really tough. It's really tough. And so I want to pick up on a word that you used there was intentional. Mm-hmm. Well, intentional is um, actually Michelle said it too. And um, I really believe that that there has to be intentional means that you you've planned it and you're going for it and you're, you're taking steps towards change. Mm-hmm. It's not something that just, oh, this is a nice afterthought or a nice benefit after we've done something. Intentionality is tough. It's, it mm-hmm. means that you're going to do what you say and you're going to stand in your truth and you're going to act upon it. 
and you're going to do what's necessary. And that means making tough decisions. Mm -hmm. um, we see it every day with safety, right? With, um, you know, it's the proverbial story of safety where um, is, is that is product productivity the guy who can bring in the project on time but has a lot of incidents, right? Well, that's a decision. So it's the same thing here. If, if diversity and inclusion is important to you and equity is important, will you make the tough decisions and stand behind it and be intentional in creating it? Yeah, and be willing to put in the work, right? Because <laughs> it that's the whole point with the intentional. Uh, we're asking women to be intentional in identifying other women and helping lift them up. That's aside from our day jobs and aside from everything else we have going on in our lives. So it does mean more work for individuals, more work for organizations. Uh, but as Trisha said, but having that end goal in mind, knowing it's worth it, it's going to, it can make a difference. It's worth that, that time, that effort. Um, and I just think the organizations that take steps up on anything that's intentional, they reap the rewards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, DPR is on this journey to be most admired by 2030. Um, that's not most admired construction company. That's a most admired company. And so we know part of that is to better reflect the communities that we work in. And mm -hmm. how does our, our employees represent and make up the, the communities that we work in or the, the clients that we work with? Uh, we know through diversity of thought, uh, perspectives, cultural backgrounds, all of this, that we are going to be a stronger, more successful company and can get to be that most admired company. And it mm -hmm. does take that deliberate intention. And we, we achieved a lot with just, you know, talking about it, but not having this de definitive intention around it. But you know, we, we now have these programs. We now have people that are truly focused on this through through our organization. Um, and again, we we've done great. We had you know women in in and minorities in our management committee without that intention, just because of who we are. But mm -hmm. now we have a, a real focus on it that hopefully is going to be driving um, continued numbers where you know it isn't that predominant white male. Um, C-suite room that nobody else is comfortable going into, right? Um, and and like you said, Tamara, it, it is making sure that those people there have a voice. They aren't there as a, you know, just a, a figurehead. They're there because we want to hear their opinions and their thoughts and that they're bringing value to the table to, to make us better. You know, what would be really great um, since I have you all here together is hearing about some recommendations that you might have that could really help other people out there who are listening to this um, break through and become more comfortable being their authentic self or taking a risk, whatever it is during their journey right now. What, what are some ideas, some techniques or or thoughts that you could share to help empower other people? So um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in having a, a solid knowledge of who you are um, as a person internally, you have to, and it sounds so kind of goofy, but know yourself to lead yourself. And um, there's a there's actually a free uh, website, Five Voices, um, and it's an assessment. And basically that's a, a great place to start just to, or take the Myers-Briggs or whatever. But if you don't know who you are, 
um, and you don't sit down and really come to what is it that you really want, there's this tendency, especially to, to be maybe disenchanted or not really know where you're going, right? So I think it starts with, with yourself. Then once you're clear on where you wanna go, you can take actionable steps to get there. Um, and then there's the X factor of now you've done it for yourself, how can you empower others? But you really can't empower others if you don't know what it's like to be on the other side of yourself. Um, because whether that's a leader, whether you're a new, a, you know, a, a very young person just getting started in the workplace, what is it like to be on the other side of you, and how can we liberate others? Um, I I would say you have to start with what is it that you really want. Um, even if you're in a position where money is tight and you're and you can't just quit your job and you've just got to stick through it having that ability to be intentional, again, that word intentional about, look, here, here are two or three things that I can do after work that will get me on the path to where I want to be. Um, if you don't define who you want to be and what, your what you want your life to look like, I've found in my own experience, there's a whole lot of people in line trying to tell me what I should be and what my life should look like. <laughs> That's right. will do it for you. So... Yeah, and, and adding on to that, I think another thing that has worked for me personally is having boy, finding ways to connect with those women in leadership and hearing their journey. You know, a lot of times we assume that journey was smooth and that, you know, they're, you know, they, they made it through and that it's almost impossible for me, myself, I'm a minority. Uh, and it turns out a lot of the journey and having these conversations, you learn that, you know, they also had limiting beliefs and they also struggled through it. And it's not an easy path, but it's achievable, attainable. And that almost make, gives you some momentum and confidence to say, hey, you know, I can do that just like they did. Um, so I think learning from others and, and hearing their journeys really goes a long way. Yeah, I, I think also, you know, we're, we're, we're talking from positions of a little bit later in our careers. Um, and it, it sounds simple to say, hey, just figure out who you are. But I think that is one of the biggest challenges for anybody, male or female. Um, and, and so it just some of that is time, but it's also, I think all of us owe it to the, those next generations coming up of reaching out, giving them a hand up so that they don't have as hard of a struggle so that they do know we don't have it all figured out either right now. <laughs> um, and if anybody says they do, would love to <laughs> figure out what magic bean they took um, because it, it is a struggle and, and we, we do need to be willing to admit and share those stories so that people don't think that the struggles that they have are so different or so much harder or insurmountable that they can't get past those. Um, and I do think the the mentoring, the role modeling, the the um, you know DPR does stuff with STEM classes and and internships and and you know getting out and sharing our stories, providing those opportunities. Even in times of COVID, we're doing a lot of stuff virtual um, and trying to see how we can continue to support those opportunities for for the younger generations. You know, one area that I also wanted to bring into the mix and that we don't discuss a lot is self-care. Friend of mine, um, she showed me um, a place called Home, which is a meditation place 
And um, at first I thought, well, I could just do meditation at home. I don't need to go someplace to do it. And she's like, please, you know, I, I know this sounds a little bit kooky. Her name's Jennifer. She's really great. And um, she's like, just, just come with us one time. If you don't like it, you don't ever have to go back. Right. I was like, okay, fine. So I went and it was just incredible. Just even taking that um, pleasure, that opportunity to change up my own environment to an environment that was crafted specifically for relaxing and clearing your mind. So that's one of the things that I did when things started to get really chaotic was create those moments of, of time where you could be quiet in your mind and just kind of recollect yourself. And so I wonder, do, do the three of you do anything similar to that? So I, well, two things. I um, learned the art of needing to breathe, which is something that, I mean, it sounds so silly, but um, I've, I'm just always burning the candle at both ends, doing, doing so many things. I have, um, my husband calls it the brain that never stops. I mean, I really am constantly thinking constantly, what am I going to do next? And so I had to learn the hard way after I got sick and had two pretty scary health scares. And of course, um, you know, again, we're, we are of a certain age. So you learn the hard way, right? So younger generations are looking going, Oh, now that's not going to happen to me. Well, that's what I thought. And then all of a sudden you're faced with a scary diagnosis and thank goodness I'm fine, but I had to learn how to stop and focus and breathe. And, um, I actually was very similar to you. I started, started doing some meditation and some yoga and, um, I call it throwing some Hail Marys in there as well because of my upbringing and, um, you know, um, but I also am a writer. And so whether I was writing for work on business stuff, or if I was writing every Sunday, I carve out 30 minutes to write, whether it's writing a story or writing, it brings me peace and joy and something that no other, I think, cause it calms my crazy mind. I'm focused and I'm, I, much happier when I devote the time to do it. So this year I said, I'm doing it every Sunday from a certain period of time, every Sunday morning, and it's helping me quite a bit. So from my perspective, I think one of the things that, um, you know, it's again, we're working virtually trying to be as productive and, and sometimes it's really hard to have a good balance. Uh, you know, we have work in all time zones, really hard to get in. So um, I DPR, one thing that I think is so great about the organization is when we have meetings together, these virtual meetings, we do take time during a meeting to talk about each other's, you know, mental health. And we do share uh, how we're de-stressing. And one of the things that I shared with the team and actually a team member shared with us a TED talk specifically about, you know, like being crazy busy. And instead of being crazy busy, how do you prepare for the inevitable? Like we know we're going to have a ton of work. Um, and I shared with the team, you know, let's be careful with our inner monologue. Sometimes we ourselves with our inner monologue tell ourselves, I have an overabundance of work. I'm never going to accomplish this. I still have to make dinner. My parents need groceries. I mean, I can just overwhelm myself just with my inner monologue. So one thing we've been sharing with teams is, you know, careful what you tell yourself, try to turn that conversation around internally. Um, and me personally, I love to cook. So I've taken the challenge of 
what can I do next? You know, we, I don't leave the house much because of COVID. Um, so it's just a way of me being creative outside of a work area. So that's just the way I personally kind of de-stress and be creative on my own. Yeah, this, this is an area I will admit, I, I've been very envious of those people who COVID have said, hey, I'm working out more, I've lost weight and all this stuff, right? Um, I've kind of, unfortunately, the pendulum went the other way. I was working too much. So I do need to put more focus on that. I need to put more focus on me, the family. Um, and like Grace said, that inner monologue always goes and need to flip that around. But I think like everything, it's, it's this ebb and flow, the work-life balance that we started talking about at the beginning. Uh, I have to give myself grace that right now I'm not that 30 year old body that I, you know, would love to have back, but there's things I can do and do small steps. Don't, don't, you know, it's one of those things that I'm kind of an all or none kind of person. <laughs> so, so I need to be okay with, Hey, guess what? If I only exercise three days this week, that's three days. It didn't have to be the six days with one day off for, for good behavior. Right. So giving yourself some grace is a huge thing right now, I think for everybody. Um, uh, and, and I think the other thing too is uh, kind of grace alluded to this reaching out and just checking in on each other, your friends, your coworkers, um, your family, because the stresses that people are under right now, uh, who, who would have thought uh, this time last year that anybody would be in the situation that we're at. And so how do we just reconnect from a distance and support each other and um, cut each other some slack, cut, it, cut ourselves some slack so we don't have these extra pressures that may or may not even be real. That another year from now, we'll look back and go, oh my God, why did we think that was so hard? We, you know, so. One day we'll be able to laugh about COVID. <laughs> hey, I'm already laughing about it because, you know, otherwise. That's all you can do. <laughs> I was having the best time in January and February. <laughs> It's like the year was like, yes, got to do all these amazing things. And I remember I was in March at the AGC conference speaking on, of all things, crisis management planning and, you know, empowering companies to be all on board on crisis management. And the very next day, it's like, get out. You've got to go home. They're closing down Vegas. It's like, what? Who closes down Vegas? But here we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah. You know, talking about organizations, it would be really great to get some insights from, from all of you about how various organizations can promote and encourage diversity and inclusion within their work environments. You were talking about DPR and some examples there that you have um, to ensure that there's inclusion and equity. So maybe we could expand on that because before we leave Yes, I'll, so I'll just talk a little bit about one of the programs. Um, so as, as Michelle mentioned, we're, we're very intentionally uh, ensuring that when we have our interviewing process that we have people, that, a diverse group, so that no matter who we interview, there's going to be somebody on that panel that they can relate to, looks like them, uh, so that they, they know that they're joining an organization that is inclusive, um, and, and, you know, they, they have, you know, to feel more comfortable with the organization in general. So I know that's one in, in particular that we're working towards specifically. So um, one of the things that uh, 
we've done at Jordan Foster is uh, we're looking for leaders without a title in the field. So we call it the field safety leader program. And um, we're pro intentionally, again, there's that word again, it's a big word, um, but selecting those individuals that are in the labor force that don't necessarily have a title, they're not the foreman or the superintendent yet, but they're up and coming leaders because it's the guy after the toolbox talk that everyone goes to to ask for advice or say, okay, what, what are we doing? What's going on? And we're, we've actually developed a, it's a safety leader program where they're not only receiving safety knowledge and training, in addition, they're also getting leadership and communication training. And it's been extremely successful and, and rewarding and, 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 um, the goal is that they will become the next leaders in the field also. And so to me, that's empowering, looking for ways, how can we in construction or, or going into the field and seeing how can we um, bring more people up into leadership roles? Uh, some, of the, some of the other things that we do at DPR, uh, we do a lot of community service and outreach work. And so we do a lot of work around STEM programs and, and really uh, try and help emphasize uh, women uh, and young, young women getting into the STEM programs and really try and encourage that through some of our uh, interactions with the programs, giving them opportunities to see what engineering and science degrees and math degrees can do for them um, and where they could go into the construction world. And it's, it's so cool to see young girls' eyes going down to a construction site and getting for them to think that, oh my God, I could build something like this. And, and so that's just such a, an exciting part of, of getting to do those types of things. Um, other thing, you know, we help support Girl Scouts and uh, we do um, building programs. So we, we help build, uh, if they have their, their camp fixed camp locations, we'll go there and uh, work with the girls, non-COVID times, of course, um, to, to build their no new hut structures or camp structures. And they get to be part of that building process and we help um, mentor them through that. Um, DPR in itself, we have um, several different women's groups across our organization. Um, I, I'm located in Northern California, so in the Bay Area, we have a women in operations group that is a group of um, different construction safety groups, uh, or sorry, not safety groups, different construction companies across the Bay Area or, or architects or different organizations within you know, kind of the operations construction group. And we get together um, and do different seminars and, and coaching, mentoring opportunities. And it's a great way to connect, uh, learn about some other opportunities and mentorships and, and just make some connections and see more women in the industry, which is really great. So one of the areas that I'd actually also be interested in hearing about and breaking open is, is measuring success. So how do we know if we're being successful in relation to encouraging diversity and inclusion and more equity in our workplaces? And how do we identify if we're leaving some groups out in what we're doing? Because in my view, there's some groups that are being left out, but I'm not going to, I'll leave that to as we discuss. Yeah, so I think in, in measuring how successful you are in not only bringing up women, but just inclusive and diversity as a whole uh, is really 
you know, what does your organization look like? What is your culture today? And, and does it lend for those things? So it's, it, you know, we don't have the token minority or the token women, woman, but, you know, is it really a part of the organizational culture? Uh, you know, is it, is it something that even our own employees can say proudly that we, that, that, that this is what our organization stands for. And this is one of the reasons they chose to work for our organization and they stand proud to speak up about our organization. I think that is, is very telling retention, you know, like there's so many right now in the construction industry, uh, there's a shortage, right? They're building all across the world. And the fact that we can retain, I, I've met people within DPR that have been here 25 years. And that's amazing in this day and age, because most people, uh, they don't stay at, at one job anymore like that. So that just tells me that the culture here, the opportunities, uh, you know, the the recognition, it, the, the culture really does lend itself for everyone to feel that they contribute to the part of the team and that they're valuable to the team. So I think that's definitely some ways we can measure, uh, you know, are we doing what we intended to do? And does our organization look and feel as, you know, with that diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I agree. Um, it's, you know, being able to come up, it's just like, again, back to, you know, very parallel with safety is it, it's looking at those indicators and how do you measure and how, what is your plan and how are you going to be successful? So, um, in, uh, I also believe it's, uh, it's not only just the numbers, but the retention, like Grace said, and then also the, um, the strategic plan for the future, you have to keep going, you have to keep in. So it's one thing to start, then you have to continue to grow it and see where it leads you. Um, so making sure that there's time an initiative at the strategic planning that goes on within the organization that that this is something that's discussed each and every time. I think the metrics on the number that you know we can obviously do a, a diversity checklist when when we have um, people come on and you know they can check those boxes. But I think the harder thing to measure is the acceptance of the diversity within your organization, right? Uh, is, is there, at the same time that we're increasing the different, the different numbers through the diversity metrics, are we also increasing the, the acceptance of the diversity or do we still have people shutting people out, not bringing them in, not being inclusive? That's harder to measure, yeah. but I think it's that that's kind of measured in the retention of both the, the new people or in the, uh, those people that are, are bringing that bring in the diversity, but also are we losing any people because of of they no longer want to be part of an organization because of this new emphasis? Mm -hmm. it, interesting to see how that those those numbers get measured and how they all come out over over time. Yeah, and I think for an organization that might be you know starting down the path of measuring, one thing to start with is actually establishing your baseline. So, you know, just kind of um, be open about where you're starting at. Yeah. yeah, you have to know where you are to develop a plan to, to where you wanna be, right? So, uh, 
I think that's that goes across the board with any measurement. It, you know, uh, us being safety professionals, we, we're digitizing a lot of our processes and we're able to clearly see, you know, where we're at with them. And one of the things I tell teams all the time is, you know, sometimes it's a case of a nice surprise where we're pleasantly surprised with the results, uh, but we also have to be prepared for the ugly truth and be uh, be willing to accept it and and take it as a learning opportunity and say, what can we do? What steps can we do to really drive change um, and and not necessarily harp on the results, but more focus on the plan to the next step? Yeah, but I think that, Grace, that's a step that often is skipped. Because a lot of times companies, they don't want to know the truth to start with. That's my internal belief. And they believe that it's a step that isn't very necessary. We'll just, you know, we'll put something in plan and then we'll measure. So we can say like, yeah, we should do that across the board for everything. But I think part of the conversation is that when organizations are making change, the, the, there's best practices that need to be reinforced. So how can we as professionals help lean in and step forward to make sure that we're not skipping steps? Yeah, you bring up a great point. And, and I think sometimes when we talk about change within an organization, people's minds immediately go to the action items, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we going to do? And, and I think uh, the more strategic approach is finding out what are our wants, our needs, and where are we at today when it comes to that. And that takes work, that takes time. And again, it also takes a, a t- for you to, as an organization to take a hard look at where exactly you are, because we have a lot of assumptions going on every day about the work that's being done. Um, but I would say speaking to organizations that aren't really interested in that, unfortunately, the only way to get there is to do that, right? We need to know what our wants and needs are, assess where we're at today to really drive change that will be impactful, but most importantly, uh, sustainable, something that will continue moving forward. Um, And I I think that's one thing that drives a lot of individuals to wanna work for an organization like DPR is that it does, we do take the time to do that. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, when I first started with DPR, one of the first advice I got was breathe. You're not going to do it everything overnight. Yeah. We take time because it matters. It matters to take the time to do it right. And, and, it, uh, and I was going to say that if you're not also measuring the risks and your weaknesses, it's mm-hmm. great to look at your strengths and opportunities but you also need to have a a healthy look at the risks and um, weaknesses, because without that, you're not going to really make um, change that's gonna move the needle. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. It kind of goes back to, you know, how you know yourself, the company has to know itself too. and, and, And that can be ugly. Is we some of us have some history or some uh, what are those beliefs that are so ingrained in the organization and 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 they no longer serve in the way the organization or or the the um, the culture of today. Uh, I I really think that in 
particular in construction, the reality is there's a lot of um, companies that are just so ingrained in how they've always done things. And that's probably what the reason why there's, it's difficult to find people in all levels of the organization because we don't want to, they don't want to do things the way that it's always been done. And so until that changes and there's some, like for another simple example is technology. In many cases, construction is so far behind in technology. It's just another area where um, it just wasn't done and it wasn't, but now it, it, we're not going to, get on board, we're going to die. So it, it's this, whether it be technology, whether it be diversity, inclusion, um, even for those that are the holdouts of diehards of not doing safety the right way, well, good luck because the world is changing and, and we better get on board. And the sad thing too is that a lot of those workers are marginalized workers. Mm-hmm, very much so. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's right. So the resources and funding is not being put into those areas of the business. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And, and that's a real challenge that um, it's going to have to, it, it's going to have to change and ebb and flow as well. But, um, you know, it's going to it take a long time to get people to realize that. Yeah, Some, so just another, sorry, go ahead. just another example on how DPR, um, really does drive change and vision is it's always spoken about talk about Mm -hmm. intentional every meeting i uh, attend no matter what level it is we talk about respect for individual we talk about our vision to be the most admired in the year 2030 Uh, and it's always like so that no one on our team no matter what level you are loses sight of the vision Mm -hmm. Um, and every time we talk about change uh, we always include the, hey, guys, this is our journey from being good to great. And it, it, it like puts people in that perspective. So so again, it's that mindset, right? And one of our fundamentals that's it within DPR is what is our mindset, especially in safety? We need to have the right mindset to keep us go- moving forward. And, and that's all intentional. An organization, if they truly want that change, it has to be spoken about at all levels and and continuously repetitively so that everyone understands this is the journey we're on and everyone that works here we're going along this together and all of us have a have a piece in it Um, and so that that's just a great way of how an organization can purposely and intentionally move that needle well and i would actually go farther than that it's more than just talking about it i've been at companies where they talk a lot about a lot of things and the vision meetings are very beautiful. They have people on stage. Oh boy, you know, you'd think it was the greatest place, you know, on earth to be working. But the, the fact is, is that Grace, it's the day-to-day, what you're living inside out as an employee. That for me, where the rubber hits the road. Now, Michelle, you've been awfully quiet. No, just, just listening. Um, you know, I, I do think that there's so much that um, organizations can do. Um, and, and one of the reasons I'm at DPR is because I truly believe in what we're trying to do and where we're trying to go. Um, and, you know, you, you talked about um, action over words, and that is something that resonates with me, but it exists at DPR. Um, and, and so I, I'm fortunate enough to, to be in, a, or in an organization that I think is really driving the, 
the right direction in so many ways. Safety, uh, sustainability, diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of these things. Um, but I think we also have some power as individuals, of whether it's individually within my organization, individually between where, where I spend my money, uh, where I you know, put my outside time and effort in. Um, you know, I, I don't wanna go political, but it's so awesome that, that we now have a, a female vice president elect. It took a hundred years from the time we got the right to vote to, to get a woman in to the White House, but um, it, it's, it's awesome. And, and so how do we continue to use our influence as individuals? If we're not in a job at a company that we don't think we can influence and make the change, then our, our voice is to, to get up and go find the right company to go work for, mm -hmm. or to go push those boundaries. Um, it, you know, making, making decisions of where we, we spend our money has a huge influence. Um, and I think if we think about that, and just my individual influence and what I can do, that can, can change hugely, especially if you're in a place where you don't feel your organization is, is leading the way of where you want to go. I think it's really important to the individual. It's, um, I, always, I always say this, my mom said it to me uh, when I was a child, I would always say, how do you change the world? And it's like, you make a difference in your little corner of the world every day in how you treat people, in how you um, show up, um, how you do what you say you're going to do and honor your integrity. And, um, and I really, there's something really to that, like the, in, the choices that we make and what we choose to focus on, how we empower others by, through our actions and our words. Is, it sounds very um, altruistic, but, it, but it's really true. And, uh, and over time, as, as you get older and you look back and you realize that what, how we behave and how we empower others is so incredibly important. Um, and that's really what matters. We get to be here one time. Yeah. <laughs> if COVID has taught us anything, it's uh, um, our time is short and we need to make the best of it. And we need to focus on what's important. In, in our case here, I, all, all of us are on the same journey. We, we want to have a voice for women and um, make things a little better for our daughters and, and the women that are coming after us. I have a daughter who's studying engineering at Texas A&M and I'm like, you go and, and uh, I wanna do everything I can to empower her and her friends to be able to do and be whatever they wanna be um, and because and I do think this is what's really exciting is the confidence that young people have that whether it be because they've got that camera in front of their face or whatever, I'm there, you know, this is all the zoom and all of this stuff that we're doing now, just being on a, who would have thought like we'd be doing this on zoom on a camera and, um, and being comfortable with it. I remember the first time I had to turn my camera on, you want me to do what, why, why would you do that? <laughs> Um, but then there's my daughter who's got her camera in front of her since she was, you know, 15 or whatever. But there's this confidence that the next generation that's coming after us has. And they're not they're not afraid and they're going and they're they're smart. They're educated. They're brilliant. And I'm just really hopeful that we can do our part to pave the road for them. That's what that's what I want to be doing. So. 
Yeah, no, this has been an amazing conversation. I know our time is up, but thank you for, you know, joining today. And I think for our listeners too, the, the biggest message that uh, we could be sending out through this is, you know, find who you are inside that you're comfortable with. Um, find the ways that you need to nurture yourself in order to push your boundaries and take those risks. But as well, remember that we are models of for other generations, for those coming up through the ranks, they are actually looking at us as women and seeing how are we treating each other? How are we treating other people? Because just like we mirrored the behaviors that we learned and you know what, of course we're going to be bitches because we weren't mirroring um, other female leaders. We were mirroring men and we're not men. So it's really great to be now part of a generation where we can help mirror our what we think is really important characteristics for leadership because as women we bring different things to the table last thoughts on that before we go for all of you we'll start with grace and then michelle and then trisha yeah so in speaking to the influence that we have on other generations um, i myself have a daughter uh, she is very outspoken, very confident, but I see some of her friends who don't necessarily have strong women leadership in their lives, and they're more timid, more shy. Uh, you know, one example, one friend was working without getting paid, and she was too afraid to ask her employer for a paycheck. And my daughter is the one driving her. How can you be taken advantage of? And so I, I'm seeing firsthand how, just how influential uh, a strong woman example can be to the next generation. And I think we need to make sure we understand how much that influence is we are leading by example, whether we like it or not, it really is happening. So we also need to make sure we check ourselves. You know, again, you made a valid point. Uh, how are we treating each other as women? I cannot confidently say here today that every woman in leadership has been a great proponent for my career. Uh, it's very unfortunate. There's been times in my career where I said I prefer to work with a man because it was less confrontational. And, and I think as women, we need to be intentional on that. We need to make sure that we're lifting each other up, that we're taking those biases away and providing that great example to the next generation. And I think that's going to be our legacy. That's going to be our legacy. And in the future, we'll be able to say we had a hand in bringing these women up in not only the leadership positions, but how we treat each other in general. Grace, as you were telling that, that, that story, it just hit me, right, that sometimes we have seen other women as competition because there's been this idea of a quota of the number of women. And so it had to be, I have to be better than that person instead of, hey, how can the two of us be better than everybody else together? Um, and, and, and maybe even that's the wrong thing. How can we just, how can the, the two women make everybody else better as well, right? Um, I do think, Tamara, everything you said resonated with me. How do, how do we treat ourselves, uh, give ourselves some grace and some room for the failures or the, the mistakes that we've made or that we will make going forward? How can we lend a hand to those who are coming up so that they do have a space that is free and clear for them to be their own authentic self and contribute and grow? Um, 
I mean, I, I am so forward to looking to what DPR has to offer and the growth that we're gonna do. I do worry about how COVID has impacted, you know, just it's such a higher rate women in the workforce. Something we didn't mention um, yet, but uh, college, a lot of people have deferred going to college. Um, there's fewer spaces in colleges because there's fewer professors and fewer courses. So what is that gonna mean for the, the women entering into the college you know, workforce? Are there gonna be those opportunities? Are there gonna be fewer opportunities? So the choices you know, we, we self-select into maybe some of these more uh, traditional, uh, the, the nursing, the healthcare, the, the teacher roles versus going into being the astronaut, the engineer, the, the person that's gonna get us to Mars. And so how do we intentionally know that COVID has set us back, but, but move forward to make space and, and intentionally make sure deliberately, I'll use a different word, um, deliberately know that we need to do more to make up for, for what this year, year and a half, two years is gonna do to women in the workforce. So I'll go back to the bitch word. So in my, our generation, um, it, it took me aback when I was either called a bitch to my face or referred to as a bitch. And again, goes back to that being nice and wanting to um, do the right thing, but also be present and develop those relationships. And um, the reality is the new generation, they're reclaiming that word and they're redefining it. So uh, I walked into a, a, the dorm of my daughter's room and she, her and her friends had a uh, bitches, uh, love, love you bitches written all over their walls. And I was like, that's right. And um, even, you know, the, the term bitches get stuff done on Twitter. It's that's right. So if I'm going to be a bitch, then I'm going to own it and I'm going to get stuff done and I'm going to make things better for the future generation. That's really what it's all about. So, you know, it's interesting, Tricia, when you're saying that, because I, I was thinking back to, um, to that experience at Astral in Shelly's department. And she, she, she wasn't ashamed of the fact that the men called her a bitch. Mm -hmm. And it was okay. Um, she had um, a, a woman who, who was her, her right hand, hand Michelle, who, who kind of had a mouth of a truck driver, actually, you know, and it was, it was very interesting, that dynamic of, of those, there was a, another woman, Michelle and Penny, the, the dynamic of those women, very strong, all very strong women who, who would continuously um, support one another in the workplace. So it goes back to what you were saying, Michelle, about how can we collectively help one another grow and be the best version of ourselves? And it's really beautiful to have had this conversation because I had forgotten about that memory mm -hmm. of those women and the gift that they actually gave about being okay. Cause this is like way back in the beginning of the nineties. So it was very unusual um, to have this. I, I remember my original supervisor actually measuring my skirt on the floor. I had to kneel down. Do you remember that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And then in the middle of all this, that going on in the office was this group of women in the publicity department. So, you know, let that be our rising, our phoenix, if you will. I will tell you, I've worked with Grace. Grace and I have known each other for many, many years. And I had the, the um, 
the actual blessing of hiring Grace um, and giving uh, as, a, as a safety coordinator. And then she became the director of risk management and safety when we worked together. And um, But one of the things that I'm probably most proud of is um, that others have looked to us to say, this is how women should treat one another. We presented it. We presented together at conferences. I've always presented when we spoke on culture and um, the Hispanic workforce. I always felt like we were better together, and we lifted each other up. And we've always had each other's back. And I, and I think that there's just there should be. My goal would be to be able to create more of those relationships going forward. I'm um, I'm very blessed. She's still in my life, um, but also. Um, looking for opportunities to mentor others and open the door. And if we can all do that, um, then we make things better for everyone. So. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we need each other, right? So we're all, we're all struggling through the same things. Uh, we all kind of encounter the same challenges and being there for each other, uh, lifting each other up saying, you know, ignore that. These are all the great things you're doing. I know Trisha and I do that for each other all the time. Uh, that's what really keeps us motivated and keeps us going as women. And, and we need to be there for each other in that way, not just professionally, but also to say, hey, man, it, it's all right. People stumble. You know, what can I do to help you? And, and, and Trisha's right. There's a lot of male colleagues actually in our lives that have said, you guys are a dynamic team. It's so interesting because we haven't worked together and almost 10 years and we're still supporting each other. We, we help each other out no matter what projects we're on. Uh, and that's what we need. We need more of. We really need to see how can we allow others to lean on us, those that have gone through this journey and, you know, help each other get, get through the day to day, to be honest with you sometimes. The, the stories we have of our struggles, when we think back about who was there to help lift us up, yeah. um, you know, it, that's what we remember. That's what stays with us. And the more opportunities we can take to do that for others, we're just going to make a better, stronger world. Uh, more women in safety is going to make everybody that much better and safer and get them home. Yep. So what a, what a great team. What a great conversation. So thank you so much for everybody. Thank you. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Yes, thank you. We shared your podcast today with all of our BUEHS leaders within DPR. We shared that it's not just a women in safety podcast. There's so much we can learn. Your storytelling podcast, there's just so much. And the more we can get the word out there, um, I think the better traction we can make. So I appreciate everything you're doing uh, for the women in, in, in America. Thank you. Thank you. Hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Women in Safety podcast. If you're looking for the show notes, please navigate over to safetypedia.com and you can find them under the podcast tab. Are you looking for great safety content to share out with your teams? Visit safetypedia.com where you can find webinars, articles, Q&As, and so much more to share out with your network and your team. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions.